Today's scripture passage is from Isaiah 59, and I'll be reading 1 through 8. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor the ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads his case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments and speak lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die. And when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are evil thoughts. Ruin and destruction mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks in them will know peace. Thanks, Rob. Good morning. Seven years ago, I was over at the secondary campus of Coal Valley Christian School playing basketball with my three sons and a number of other Cole people and community people and jumped up and landed awkwardly, fell to the ground. My knee was hurt. But, you know, I kind of thought, it'll get better. So I walked on it for five months. It didn't get better. <laughs> Went in for an MRI, and it turns out I'd severed my ACL and had pretty severe meniscus damage. And so if I was ever going to get better, I needed to have surgery. Many of you have had similar experiences where you thought you were basically doing okay or you thought maybe whatever you had would just get better, but finally you went in for a more complete examination and you discovered a bad injury, a tumor, heart blockages, a blood disease, something more serious that just wasn't going to get better. Well, in our passage today in Isaiah 59, Isaiah is giving Israel a deeper diagnosis, essentially a spiritual MRI. <laughs> you know, they think they're basically doing okay. But what he does is he looks deeper and looks into what's really going on, but not only for Israel, but for all of culture, an entire world and what's going on to show what life is like when you leave God out of your life. Today we look around us and we see that the world is quite a mix, isn't it? It's, it's a mix of good and bad. People are doing tremendously good things. People are really caring for the hurting and doing some wonderful things for others. And we have incredible development of technology and on and on. You could say there's a lot of good things going on. And yet at the same time, we see a lot of not-so-good things going on. There's deceit and abuse and violence and lying and depression and anxiety and selfishness and oppression of the powerless. In other words, 
There's good and bad, but life really isn't working all that well. So how should we understand those problems of society? Well, you, if you don't have an accurate diagnosis, if you don't really understand what's going on, you won't be able to fix what's there and turn to get the help you really need. So our passage today is one in which Isaiah steps back and shows us a picture of what culture and life is like apart from God so that we can truly get the help we need. So pray with me and we'll look at this passage together. Lord, as we look around us, we are overwhelmed sometimes by the mix that life throws at us. How everything is tainted and twisted and not quite right and yet there's wonderful good and We need to know how to understand it. I pray, Lord, that this passage would bring clarity to our hearts and our minds and help us learn more what it means to really turn to you for life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, just by way of introduction, the world looks at the mess that we have around us and says, well, one of the reasons I think there are such problems in our world is economic inequality. This was an idea that's been throughout history. Karl Marx kind of perfected it, but it's common in today's world. It's the sense that, you know, there's just these inequalities. The rich keep getting richer, the poor, poor. And if we could just redistribute wealth and make it more fair, life would be better. Another common answer to our world's problems is that to say that the real problem is ignorance. If we just would educate people better and understand reality better, then we could fix the problem. So we just need more education. Of course, we're the most educated world ever throughout history, and it doesn't seem to be helping a whole lot. (laughs) Another answer to our world's problems that our world throws at us is that the real problem with today's society is intolerance. And this is a real common one today. It's this idea that if we would just get along, if we would just tolerate people that are different from us and believe differently and have different religions and different values and different ethics, different morals, if we would just accept everybody, then the world would not be such a mess. But, you know, these are all things that have been tried throughout history, and the world has never gotten any better. These are not answers, but they're what the world attempts to say. The real problem, as we see in Isaiah 59, is our separation from God. Verse 1 and 2 again, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, a question you might ask is, okay, this says that we are separated from God because of our sin. But my question is, does our sin separate us from God or does separation from God cause us to sin? (laughs) Well, the answer is both, right? Both are true. Uh, it just reinforces itself. And I think what this passage goes on to say is it paints a picture, a diagnosis, an MRI of what life is like when we leave God out. What happens to culture 
when God is left out. So what's this spiritual MRI? Well, he mentions several things. First, he says, when you leave God out, what happens in society, what happens in culture is violence. Violence. Notice verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Down in verse 6. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Here's what I think happens. You see, if you're not submitting to God and following him and trusting him and following him as Lord, then what happens is we as human beings take power. And when we take power apart from God, the way we maintain that power and the way we take that power is always through violence. That's what humans do. Today, in our incredibly educated, tolerant world, (laughs) there are 18 major conflicts going on throughout the world with over a thousand killed in each of those in the last year. But in most of those, far more than a thousand. Many, many people have been killed and there's many minor conflicts everywhere. There have been many school shootings, crime, violence, etc. Violence is just part of our world that we keep hearing about over and over and over. And what Isaiah is telling us is when you leave God out of your life, this is what naturally happens in human society, in human culture, when you leave God out. There was an article in the paper recently entitled, If I Could Have Gotten a Gun, I Would Have Been a School Shooter. Aaron Stark writes this, Facing utter hopelessness as a young man, he says, I snapped. I tried to get a gun. I wanted to take out as many people as possible, people who had tortured or ignored me and then kill myself. It was 1997, and I had two possible locations mapped out, my school and a mall food court. I wanted to be heard. The abuse I'd suffered had closed me off, and I wanted to feel an emotion rather than pain. I wanted to feel for once like I was in control even if that meant spreading destruction and death. You see, that was 1997, but you see it increasing in our world that in a world that is more and more powerless and frustrated, it seems that violence becomes more and more the only logical choice for many people to deal with their pain and their hurt, their alienation. We live in a world that there are Hundreds of thousands to millions of abortions yearly. Abortion is a violent act. The taking violently of an innocent life. Now, let me just say, I know there's people here who have had abortions. God can forgive. And I hope you've experienced God's love and forgiveness as a result of a choice you made or that was forced upon you. But... Still, in society as a whole, it's just a reflection of the violence of society where we're willing to do that and just turn a blind eye like it's nothing. So when you leave God out of your life, one of the first results is always going to be violence. Secondly, culture will reflect a loss of truth, Isaiah tells us, verse Three, and he mentions this other places, but the second half of verse 3. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. You don't know who to believe. 
in a world in which God is left out because nobody seems to be speaking the truth. Everybody seems to have an angle. Everybody seems to be biased. You don't know where to look for truth. So life becomes confusing. Fake news is everywhere. What should I believe? Society is filled more and more with lies and untruths, and what we do believe isn't true so many times because of the confusion that happens when you leave God out of life. Let me just give you an example. And I, we could look at hundreds of examples. One, one common belief today that most people in America just simply embrace without even thinking about it is that Living together before marriage to find out if you're compatible is a wise thing to do and will make for a better marriage later. It's something our society believes. Many Christians believe it. The problem is it's simply not true. <laughs> and, and the statistics prove it, that if you live together before marriage, you have three times higher incidence of divorce, a higher incidence of domestic violence, and many other problems that result when you live together before marriage. And we could talk about why that is. I have my theories. But the truth is, it's not wise. It does not make for a better marriage. And yet, it's a lie that our world just embraces. And there's many, many, many others like that that our world just throws at us and we just accept without thinking. That's what happens in a world when you leave God out you're just trying to figure out life and you end up confused and living in untruths. Let me say a little aside, because we, as Christians, we need to enter this confusion and say, is there truth? Can you even know truth? Is it even possible to know truth? Well, I want to read just three verses from John where Jesus speaks, and let's hear what Jesus has to say about whether you can know truth. John eight, thirty-two. Jesus says this, He said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word and are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Over in John fourteen six, what does Jesus say? I am the way and the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. In 1613, we could look at many others, but 1613, he says, starting in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He's speaking to the disciples, but I think Scripture makes it clear that we have that same spirit of truth. So Jesus makes it really clear the truth can be known, despite what the world says. It's in Jesus. It's in the Scriptures, he says. And it's taught by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's true, we're all biased. Yes, that's why... We need to dig into the word and have an open heart and an open mind. And we need to do it in community. So our biases are corrected by those around us in community. And we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage us, brothers and sisters, that truth can be known if we're willing to turn back to God and do it his way.
So, in addition to violence and loss of truth in our spiritual MRI, what God says about our culture is he says, thirdly, that you will also experience in a world where God is left out, you experience injustice. Injustice. Look at verse 4. No one enters suit lawsuits justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. What does he say? He says the legal system will be unjust. If you leave God out, it's not going to work well. It will end up being controlled by those who have power, who have wealth. And the poor will be oppressed more and more by the legal system. There'll be inequalities between races. The innocent will often be condemned. In other words, it doesn't work very well. Sometimes it works, but overall not well. In a world in which God is left out of the picture. And then finally, what he says about culture when you leave God out is you end up with unfulfilled expectations. Isaiah used some really interesting metaphors here in um, verses 5 and 6. They hatch adders' eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. <laughs> What's he saying by this metaphor, these couple of metaphors, talking about a spider's web and adder's eggs? I think what he's saying is this. You see eggs, and you think they're going to be good for nourishment, but what you end up is poisoned by them, or a viper, a poisonous snake, hatches out of it. You see a spider web, he says, and you think, wow, that looks like thread. I can weave that into clothing to cover myself. And he says, but what happens is it just breaks, and you end up with nothing. I think what he's talking about is unfulfilled expectations, where Things look good. The world promises certain things. It looks like things are going to work out well, and it never quite does. Take, for example, technology. It's a a wonderful thing, and there's tremendous good. And yet man always ends up twisting it, so it ends up disappointing and often doing harm. Take the Internet for an example. I mean, we could, again, use many examples, but... I love the Internet. It's great. It's great to have access to so much information. You can have it instantly. I can check what's happening in March Madness instantly with my phone. It's awesome. I can video conference my family in the Middle East, way over there, and we can talk face-to-face. There's many good things about the Internet, aren't there? And yet, the Internet gets hijacked by pornography and by hackers and by trolls and by bullies. And it has ended up becoming addictive for millions. Everything in life ends up, that life offers us apart from God, ends up being unsatisfying. It falls short. It is disappointing. It promises but it doesn't deliver. So in verse 7 and 8, he concludes this section by saying this, their feet run to evil, they are swift to shed innocent blood, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, desolation and destruction are in their highways. Then verse 8, 
the way of peace, shalom, they don't know. And there's no justice in their paths. They've made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows shalom. What we long for, shalom, wholeness, completeness, peace, life like we were meant to live at can't be found. So it's not a very pretty picture of life without God, is it? That's God's diagnosis. Violence, loss of truth, injustice, unfulfilled expectations. And now Isaiah is going deeper. Bear with me. We'll get through this to talk about what our experience, individual experience is when you leave God out. First, he says blindness, verse 9 and 10. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness doesn't overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness. But we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. He says in the middle of the day when you ought to be able to see, we can't see where we're going. Life is confusing. He says, when you leave God out, what happens is your your vision is so limited that you just can't see. We think, well, I'll just weigh all the pros and cons. I'll weigh all the options and make a good decision. But the trouble is you can't really see the consequences of your choices. And so you end up groping and you wonder, why aren't things working out? Why isn't a good choice? Why did things fall apart? But what Isaiah is saying, that's a natural consequence of leaving God out of your life. The more you leave God out, the more life just doesn't make sense. You try to be good to make life work, and that doesn't work. Wonderful people are gunned down or die in natural disasters. Life feels confusing and crazy when you leave God out of the picture. Secondly, he says, what you expect. Experience when you leave God out is hopelessness. Verse 11, he uses a simile here, another figure of speech, where he says, we all growl like bears. (laughs) We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it's far from us. The word for growl there is really roar. We roar like bears. What's he saying? I, I get a picture of anger here. We get angry because life's not working. And we moan and moan like the cooing of the morning dove I heard this morning outside our house, this mournful sound. We, we get frustrated and we end up hopeless because life isn't working well. And so we either end up in grief or in anger. And we wonder why keep on living. There's a high rate of depression and suicide and emotional pain in the hopelessness of life. And then third, there's guilt and shame that we cannot deal with. Verse 12 and 13. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. I think what Isaiah is saying is deep down we know when we leave God out of our lives, we end up always knowing that, that we're not right, that something's wrong with us. We have a, a deep sense of guilt and shame, and we can't fix it. We try to deal with it. 
by willpower and going to seminars and meditating and doing all kinds of things to find some peace to deal with our guilt and shame, and we're not able to because our individual and collective guilt remains when you leave God out. So that describes every individual, I think, in our culture, and it describes our culture as well. I think the reason there's such a push today, this is my theory here, why there's such a push today for tolerance. Everybody wants you to just tolerate them and accept them exactly as they are is because of this sense of guilt. When you have guilt and you're not going to repent of it, then if you can just get more and more people to affirm what you're doing and your lifestyle and whatever you are, then maybe you think that will deal with your guilt and make you feel better about yourself. But unfortunately, it doesn't work. It can't. Because God's the only one who can really deal with our guilt and our shame. But I really believe that's why our world pushes for tolerance so much. When, when you leave God out, you have no way to deal, ultimately, with your guilt and shame. So the conclusion in verse 14 and 15 is that life's a mess. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. For truth is stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Do you get that last little phrase? Those who actually try to live good lives and follow God and do what's right in, the, in a culture like this that's left God out actually begin to be attacked. Why? Because the world can't handle people who are not walking in its ways. And so we become a prey when we follow God. So how does God respond to all this? <laughs> this mess. He's made the diagnosis. What's he going to do about it? Well, first, as we see in verse 15, second half of it, he's not happy about it. <laughs> the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. God's not happy about it. This is not what he created us for. This is not what he created the world to be. He created us for a relationship with himself. But the fact we've walked away and it's resulted in such a mess, he's displeased. It breaks his heart to see us, to see mankind, who he created for a relationship with himself, walk away and end up digging through the trash heap with our lives. So first he's displeased. Then what does he do? He arms himself for vengeance. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. He looked around Boy, there's nothing they can do to fix this. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. So the coastlands, to the coastlands he will re, uh, render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream when the wind, which the wind of the Lord drives. I don't know about you, but in this context, this is a frightening picture. The God is saying, enough. 
I'm going to put on my armor and I am going to take care of the mess of this world. I will judge it. I will punish it. I will repay mankind for their sins against me. He was about to take vengeance and make his glory known. But surprisingly, he doesn't do what we deserve. (laughs) He doesn't do what we deserve. Notice what he does. Verse 20, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you, the Redeemer, and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. So God puts on his armor of vengeance and says, I am going to punish sin because I have to. But how does he do it? He punishes himself. He pours the wrath on Jesus, the Redeemer who pays the penalty for us. That's what redemption means, is to buy back. He, he buys us out of sin. He takes the punishment on himself. He did that when Jesus went to the cross. That is, instead of destroying mankind like we deserve, he takes the punishment on himself so that all who are willing to turn back to him and receive his gift of forgiveness, his free gift of forgiveness through the cross, and turn away from pursuing selfishness and sin, will have an incredible benefit, he says in verse 21. Not only will he forgive us and bring us back into relationship with him, but he'll give us his spirit and give us words of life to speak to a broken world. So that as we speak truth, speak life, speak love to a world, both by our actions and by our words, life is brought to this broken, broken world. So now we get to live in this confused, twisted, broken world and speak life into it to rely on Jesus through the Holy Spirit and speak life the way Jesus did to the world. How do we do that? By depending on him and being the kind of people that, that speak life, that live life. We talked about last week that Isaiah calls us to be to get a new name, and that new name is Goder Peretz, the passage said, which is healers of broken things. That we step into the rubble of life, we run to the rubble and bring life into broken situations. How? All kinds of ways. By visiting lonely shut-ins, by helping a refugee family learn English, by listening to and praying for a depressed friend, by helping a physically disabled person with their normal mundane tasks. In other words, speaking life through word and deed. I read earlier part of this article, if I could have gotten a gun, I would have been a school shooter. He says two things stopped me from becoming one. One, he said he couldn't get a gun. He couldn't buy one, and he tried to get one from a gang, and they kept holding him up and wouldn't give him a gun. And then he said, on the third day when I was in this confusion trying to get a gun and planning all this, something else stopped me and altered the course of my life. I was shown love and kindness at a time when I felt there was no love left in the world for me, that I had no future whatsoever, that I was barely human. And it came from Mike, 
who lived near my family. And he says, Mike simply started reaching out to him and built a friendship with him and gave him a reason to hope. And now here he is 21 years later and he's got a full and vibrant life. Why? Because somebody just reached out with a hand of love to him. Brothers and sisters, in a world that's this messed up, an act of love like that, of reaching out with the hand of Christ, you just don't realize the kind of impact it can have for good. God here gives us the diagnosis of what life is like apart from him, and it's not very pretty. And it was written 2,700 years before today. But it couldn't be any more accurate, could it? But let me address one question you may have in your minds, and that is this. Well, why does God allow evil in the world? I mean, if God's a good God and a holy God, why does he allow it? Well, a simple answer to that, a short answer, is this. Because the evil is in us. And if he was going to take out the evil, he would have to take us out. But instead, he chose to take the evil and the punishment on himself on the cross so that we would have time now to turn to him, to give our lives to him, to turn back to him. He stepped in to make a way for us to come back and be healed in our relationship with him. We're separated from him, but we can come to him and experience the fullness of life and become the people we are created to be, experience shalom, completeness, wholeness. But to do that, we must come back to him. We must come back and receive what he did on the cross for us. Now, some of you may be saying, yeah, but you know, there's many paths to God. Right? Remember what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You see... All the different paths that we think will take us to God all bring us to the end of a chasm, the very edge of it. And God's on the other side, and we cannot get across it. There is no way, and no religion will allow us to get there. Nothing will get us there. There is no other way to heal your separate, your separation from God, to heal your brokenness, than the cross of Christ, which becomes the bridge that gets us into God's presence into his favor, into his grace. When Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for us to come into relationship with him. Only Jesus is the redeemer of Isaiah 59. Only Jesus bore the punishment for our sins on the cross. So if there's anyone here who has not crossed that bridge, I plead with you, do it today. Do it today. Heal your relationship with God and begin to experience life in him. The world cannot offer you life, but he can. Eighteen years ago, I did the funeral of Ryan Rutherford, 12-year-old boy who died of cancer. It was a difficult time. A man named Jason Wright wrote a letter recently to the family, and this is what he said. I was invited to Ryan's funeral, and that is where I found my salvation. At the funeral, I was unsettled at first. The grief feeling was so profound. While the exact details are not available to me now, what I remember is how I was struck by the Rutherford family. 
I couldn't understand it, but I felt a weighty sense of hope from them. There was grief, most certainly, but it felt different than what I had imagined. There was peace or comfort. It was hard to place and even harder now to define, but it caught me by surprise. Then I recall a song that I'd never heard. They played Shout to the Lord. I believe I experienced the Holy Spirit move when this song was played. It struck me to my core with conviction. I needed to understand where this comfort was coming from. A ripple was started there, he goes on to say. So deep and so impactful that my wife received a portion, my children received a portion, and their children will receive a portion. My life is forever changed. I had a lot of missteps along the way, but I can say that I am walking with Christ today, and I'm leading my family to love and walk with him as well. The legacy that I now leave my family is an entirely different legacy than what I was given, an inheritance that is eternal. I know now and have felt the comforter that you must have felt when Ryan went to be with his father. You see, Jason saw someone who was walking with Jesus, even in the midst of grief, and found life. If you've never turned to Jesus for life, you can be given that same life today. In fact, I encourage you to pray with me now to simply receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then I'll close my message with prayer. But if you've never received Jesus, I encourage you to pray this prayer now. Dear Jesus, I see now that I need you. I accept your gift of forgiveness that you have made a bridge. You've made a way so I can be restored to a relationship with God. I want to learn what it means to walk with you. I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. So I turn to you now to receive the free gift of forgiveness. And Lord, for all of us here who may already know you, I pray that we would be the kind of people who would depend on the Holy Spirit and live lives where truth is spoken by how we live and by how we speak, so that the captives could be set free, that people would be drawn to want to know you, and that in this dark world, you would be known by those who know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.